This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 118, How to Triple Your Net Worth, Building Real Wealth, with Dan Proskauer and Alan Ekstrand. Traditional financial planning is no longer working, and in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome to our latest episode. I'm so glad to have you with me on the journey toward financial weirdness and being not so average. Again, my name is Mark Willis. I'm glad to have you with me today. And uh, again, Holly Bach, who's been our wonderful and uh, courageous co-host all these many episodes, is currently and certainly most deservedly on a long maternity leave with her brand new baby girl. So um, I have brought on some very special guests. I think you're really going to love this very audible but also visual uh, story that Dan Proskauer would like to share with you. Uh, so Dan Proskauer is the vice president of engineering United Health Group's uh, Optum unit and has spent 30 years as a professional in the semiconductor and healthcare industries. He's an engineer by personality and by training has always been fascinated by details and numbers. So Dan has been a bank on yourself revolutionary since the mid 2009 or so and has started several policies uh, with uh, one of his uh, absolute um you know, guides in this financial universe, even as recently as this most recent year. So Dan has, uh, I think, a great story. And most importantly, I think a great story and also a great chart that visualizes his journey toward tripling his own net worth, building real wealth with bank on yourself type policies, even amidst a very weak recovery uh, that we've been having since 2008. Uh, So I know you're going to love the show notes, but you know, also, I think his story that backs the chart is going to be just absolutely flooring for you. Uh, now, we have brought on two other financial experts, Jeff Hockwalt, who's an absolute uh, joy to always be around and a very intelligent, smart guy. He's on the show as well. And also Dan Proskauer's financial professional, uh, Alan Ekstrand. He's a, Alan Ekstrand's a financial expert who's helped more than 1,600 clients, just like Dan, grow their wealth without risk, worry, or volatility of stocks, real estate, or other investments. And uh, Alan's been able to help achieve financial security uh, of his clients and help them reach their short-term and long-term professional and financial goals. Uh, Alan's had been putting his clients on track to building more than $73.5 million in additional wealth they most likely would not have had otherwise through safe, proven financial strategies. That's why I think most of Alan's clients and Dan, I'm sure, think of him as their secret weapon, helping them build and uh, safeguard the wealth that they've created. So Alan is one of only 200 life insurance agents in the country who've successfully completed the rigorous training program uh, and continuing education requirements to become a bank on yourself authorized advisor, uh, just like we uh, represent here at our firm at Lake Growth Financial Services. So Alan has been in the financial services world for 38 years. He's also a chartered life underwriter, chartered financial consultant, chartered retirement planning counselor, and a member of the Society of Financial Service Professionals. So with that very exhaustive introduction, I won't make you wait any longer. You got to hear this story from Dan Proskar and Alan Ekstrand. Alan, Dan, and Jeff, welcome everybody to the show. Thank you. 
Good to be with you guys. Uh, so first of all, I want to go right to the story of how Dan and Alan met. So Alan, first of all, do you remember back when you and Dan, Dan Proskauer first initially made contact, connected with I each other? Yes, I do. Um, um, this was the start of the radio advertising and the uh, advisor request forms, you know, way back when. Uh, I, I believe Dan heard a commercial on one of the Boston radio stations, if I remember correctly, and, uh, and responded, you know, with a request for more information. And I guess my comment would be, he wasn't kidding, because I bet you we spent, what did we spend, Dan, maybe eight hours, you know, in the educational process. It, it was quite a while. Well, it, it wasn't really fair because I jumped you. I, uh, <laughs> as I recall, it was a dark and dingy morning in March, <laughs> and and I was driving to from Boston to Hartford, and I heard this ad on uh, you know CNBC satellite radio or something, and it you know it was just calling out of all the problems that I was facing. You know, it said something like, "Have you been doing all the right things?" And if you watched your retirement savings, you know, vaporize and you see everyone else being bailed out, but you're just left holding the bag? And would you want risk-free, tax-free, you know, good growth, you know, all this stuff? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's, that's you know, really, really painful that somebody's going to dangle that out there and it would be a total scam. And I, and I, it pissed me off so much that I wrote down the website and I got to the office and I was, before anyone else was there, I spent an hour, hour and a half trying to figure out how this thing was a scam. And I couldn't figure it out. And so I downloaded the report and I filled in the, you know, contact thing because I couldn't figure out how it was a scam. I had to keep going to find the scam. And and that's how I ended up, you know, talking to Alan. But before he actually even got in touch with me, I uh, had ordered Nelson Nash's book and I had read Nelson Nash's book and, you know, his meeting where he wanted to start off asking me a few questions and giving me information in a measured kind of controlled way got sidetracked when I started saying things like, do you have the fourth edition of Nash's book on page 47? Can you explain to me what does he really mean by this? And the, and poor Alan was just like, what? Okay, wait, let me glad, get it. Glad <laughs> to do it, Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, Mark, maybe we should explain that uh, by education, I'm a teacher. I have a degree in education. So this sort of thing is like second nature to me. Wow. So we had a teacher and an engineer. It sounds like the great start to a good joke. Walk into a room <laughs> together. Uh, and so you're, you're knee deep in the fourth edition on page 40 something of Nelson Nash's uh, Becoming Your Own Banker. And tell us some of the conversations that you guys had and I guess why you eventually took the leap, Dan. What helped you overcome what was initially a lot of skepticism, it sounds like. Well, I, you know, Alan did a fantastic job of being very patient with me and uh, answering my questions in ways that didn't bring up too many more questions because this whole concept was so foreign to me. I had been very active in the stock market. Um, you know, I had been through the tech bubble and I lost plenty of money in the tech bubble, but 
to me, that money that I lost in the tech bubble was money I never really had. You know, it was like, I didn't have it. And then one day I had it. And the next day I didn't have it. So it didn't really hurt so much. But the money that I lost during the financial crisis was completely different. This was money I had, you know, worked for and saved and done everything the way you're supposed to do. And then, you know, it went poof. And that was, you know, that was a very emotional thing for me. So, um, Alan's walking me through, you know, answering these questions allowed me to get a little bit more comfortable. And honestly, the amount of work that I put into trying to figure out how this had to be a scam and how it couldn't possibly be as good as it sounded, that made me feel compelled to actually try it once I couldn't find the answer to those questions of why it wasn't real. And I, you know, at that point, I was willing to, you know, risk some money, not tons and tons of money, but enough. And I think the way I put it to Alan was, I want to do something that's big enough to know whether or not it really works, but small enough so that if it doesn't, it's not going to, you know, permanently damage us. It's really a smart move. That's what we did. Yeah, that's what we did. So we did, I think, uh, you know, two policies, one for myself and one for my wife and let those policies run. I think... Alan, what was it? Within three months, I took a policy loan to buy a car. Right. Yep. Um, um, right. Yeah, I remember that that uh, that you bought. And, um, uh, I think it was like you bought a VW or something. Yeah, like it was that. A, it was a cash for clunkers. I I traded in <laughs> yeah, an old right, truck and I, right. I got a Honda Civic. You know. With oh yeah, picture. Honda. I was, yeah. I was really splurging on that one. So. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I took the policy loan and I was paying myself back just to see how it really worked. And it, it was everything was exactly the way it had been described. And it was uh, it was quite, uh, you know, I would say quite satisfying that it really was working that way. And so then what, a year later, a little bit, we opened two more policies and then one for each of our kids. Yeah. And. And then the real fun started a couple of years after that, or maybe a year after that, when, um, uh, I, you know, I, I was telling Alan, look, this is clearly working. I feel very confident about it. Now I want to go all in. And, but I had already amassed so much of, uh, you know, kind of minimum premiums that I had to put in and, and quite a lot of paid up additions I could put in. I said, I need some policies that, allow me to not commit to too much, but give me lots and lots of room for paid up additions because my income is not always, you know, stable. It's not an isolated case that Dan Proskauer is on this call is awesome, but you know, he represents tens of thousands of people at least that um, have found this solution over the country. So you were contacted somehow by Pamela Yellen and she eventually somehow convinced you to do an interview uh, of your finances uh, in front of the world, right? I'm looking at the original blog post was August 10th, 2010 on, on uh, Pamela's website. Yep. And yep. she's and, and, talking with you about, about your policy. Is that right? Yeah. I, 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 you know, this, it was actually funny because um, as I, you know, continued working with Alan, I occasionally had questions that he felt like he needed some backup on and he would go to Pamela and some of the folks on her team. And I eventually was working with somebody who was, who had kind of somehow was affiliated with, with one of the insurance companies. 
and we were running policy illustrations and experimenting with different ratios of paid up additions and some fun engineering stuff. And so I, I kind of had a, a contact with Pamela and I would occasionally, you know, shoot her an email with a link to an article that I saw in Yahoo Finance or something that I thought she might be interested in. And so we had a little bit of dialogue going. The thing about this chart that's interesting is I've been tracking my expenses, you know, at every dime in and out, right, uh, since 1992 in Quicken. And I've, you know, gone through every version of Quicken you can imagine, but it still have the original data file that has all the data back to 1992. And I, I cross my fingers every night that it won't get corrupted or something. But um, so, I, you know, I was just updating, updating, updating all the time. And one day, a couple of years into the bank on yourself journey, I said to myself, man, I wonder what it looks like, you know, our, our big picture, what does that look like now because of what we did? And I went to look at the chart and it didn't, like, I didn't see any, it didn't look any different. I didn't see any change, anything like that. And I expected to, I actually expected it to look a little worse because I know that at the early years of the policies, you know, you're, you're still paying a lot for the death benefit and, and also you're kind of underwater. It's a long-term thing. I expected it to actually look bad. What happened eventually, I figured it out, is that I had a fixed end date in the chart. And the end date was sometime in 2008. Hmm. And when yeah. I took away that constraint on the chart and made it run until the current date, all of a sudden what popped out was the beginning of that mountain chart. So, you know, it was maybe a quarter of the way or a fifth of the way into that dark green part where it had just started going up. And I was shocked because I had expected it to actually be going down or staying flat, not going up like that. And I was, I mean, I was literally a little bit flabbergasted. And I did a bunch of checking to make sure that there was nothing weird about the way I had the chart settings and it wasn't. And I got really, really excited about it. And I took a screenshot of it and I sent it to Alan and I sent it to Pamela and I said, oh my God, look what I found. And I was really like giddy. I'm sure Alan can tell you. It was, it was funny because I was like a little kid. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then of course, over time, you can see that I ran this chart last week, right? Just, just for this podcast. And yeah. it's doing the same thing. It's, it's a little funkier at the top because I've started to actually use, um, you know, some policy loans and home equity lines of credit and things to manage cash flow. And you can see the light green and the, the red on the bottom. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the, the black line is is the same. There's no no uh, denying that. Yeah, it's, it's an yeah. upward trend. So for folks only hearing this podcast, again, we will include this chart in the show notes. But I want to just describe it in 30 seconds or so for those only able to listen. But I do recommend pull over the car, <laughs> however you're listening to this, pull over the car and then look at the show notes because it will, your job will drop too, just like Dan's did. So as you can see, starting clear back to January of 1999, I'm looking at a stark increase, a jump uh, in your net worth as the tech bubble was booming and then the crash of the following years. And then the recovery of 2003 to 2006, which is sort of hardly a reco recovery. We were still in the red all those years. And then as of 2006 to 2008, really, we have a, 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 another gain. We're in the green again, you might say. And then it crashes again. So again, we're riding that roller coaster. It really does look a lot like a roller coaster if you guys are looking at it. And then 
on June 2009, you and Alan worked together to open up your very first bank on yourself policy. And the steady march upward uh, has lasted ever since. Um, so, so you funded this, uh, your policies with a number of different things. I believe from your original interview with Pamela, it says that you cut back on your 401k contributions. What were some other ways that you guys were able to free up cash to fund these policies? Dan had stock options uh, that he cashed in, where the one that he could cash in pretty much on a yearly basis. Uh, and he kept the, what he referred to as draining swamps. He kept draining swamps. So he kind of consolidated <laughs> assets. Um, you know, it was a process. And I think for most people, it yeah. is a process of getting to your maximum <clears throat> potential with bank on yourself. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember some of the swamps you had. And I, I think you had some, uh, well, you had some investments that you cashed in. Let's see, your last count. I, I, w- I want to say you have 10 plans now, Dan. Uh, we have 12 because there's four on each of my wife and myself and then uh, three, one each on the three kids. Dan, yeah, how did you do that? How did you fund those policies early on? Yeah, so the early, one, the very first one, we um, we had just refinanced our mortgage, and so we took the monthly savings from that, and I cut back the four hundred one k contributions a little bit. That was the first policy. The second policy, I cut back the four hundred one k contributions further, down to the point where I was just capturing the maximum amount of match from my company and I stopped and that's still where they are by the way um, and then we uh, you know I, I, even then we still had some net positive cash flow I had you know kept in keeping an emergency fund I started to shift you know once I had the loan value available and I knew I could access it because I had done that to buy the car and things uh, I stopped keeping the emergency fund. I started keeping, you know, shunting more money into the policies. Kids' policies came. They were pretty easy. When we did those those much larger policies, which were very aggressive in the paid-up addition, so they had a low uh, required premium but very high MEC limits, Those that's where we started to use, you know, Alan was talking about um, draining different swamps. So in order to maximum to, to contribute the maximum I could to all these policies, uh, you know, I could not do that out of my normal cash flow. So I started doing things like my wife had some uh, IRAs that were all after-tax IRAs. So they were, I think, they were Roth IRAs at that point. So I cashed those out, put them into paid-up additions. I had a number of uh, savings plans for. Uh, you know, college, right? I, I'm going to forget which. I, I believe was. you had the, the um, oh, God. The, the 529, maybe? 529, yeah, 529 plans. I think. Yep. So I had 529 plans, and what I did was I. Uh, there was only one of them that was really significantly not underwater. I left that one and I cashed the other ones out. I had to pay very little penalty because they were not doing well. Um, so I used that money. We had some, uh, some other stocks and things like that. And I, what I did ultimately was I shifted every asset we had 
out of the stock market and into, well, every asset other than our house, right, uh, out of the stock market and into the policies. And I came to this really obvious conclusion, but one that I think is much less obvious than people think. As I looked at this chart and I just saw it marching up and up and up with no downs, when you are only invested in things that cannot lose money, you only make money. And that may seem really stupid and obvious, but I thought I was smart. And you look at the left-hand side of that chart and I was losing money all the time. So apparently it wasn't quite as obvious as I thought. Um, but okay, so we're looking at the chart and you're, you're looking at the tech bubble, the real estate crash. What do you notice when you look yeah, back? It, it, what's interesting is, is when I first made this chart uh, back in 2011, the, the growth of net worth uh, after I started Bank on Yourself hadn't happened so much. So the vertical scale was smaller and the ups and downs and the dramatic you know, losses that had happened on the left-hand side were on much the more stock pronounced. Market? The stock market losses were much more pronounced. So the tech bubble bursting and the financial crisis, you know, coming and going, that uh, was much sharper because I didn't have all this growth on the right-hand side that just kind of made the scale smaller and smaller and smaller. It's a wonderful thing to say, hey, the, the amount of growth that's happened, um, thanks to Bank on Yourself, has made the tech bubble and the financial crisis look like almost noise uh, <laughs> in my history, but it wasn't noise at the time. Let me tell you, it was huge. Dan, you're so right. When you look at the average return of the market itself, folks will give you different numbers, let's say 10% a year over the last century. You could say that that's the average return of the market, but real investors in that market were closer to what I'm seeing on your chart here, which is about even, right? Especially in the first decade of this, of this millennium, you know, and over a 30 year period, most independent research says somewhere around 3%, 3 to 4% yep. is what you can expect folks to have over a long period of time in the market. So how do you satisfy your urge for higher returns um, with the market? I think you and Pamela talked about this. I'd love to know, is there still um, a way to use your policy for things when you see an opportunity such an, as an investment opportunity? Dan, have you ever used your policy in that regard? Yeah, I, it, it's, it's fascinating. I was Because I was so active in the stock market and I was trading options and things like that, and um, I... I fully expected that after I started the bank on yourself policies and then the market was doing really well, I fully expected that I was going to have all kinds of regrets and remorse and feel bad about the decisions that we had made. And I was prepared for that to happen mentally. And what surprised me was it, it has never happened. To this day, it has never happened. And I'm sure I could make a spreadsheet and prove to myself that had I never done this and just stayed in the market and, you know, whatever, blah, 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 I would have more money. Maybe, right? Uh, but I don't care. And the reality is that if you plan well, you can afford to not take risk. And, you know, the, the sort of adage is, well, if you have enough money, you can afford to take risk. And I, I think that needs to be flipped around on its head. If you plan well and you have enough money, you can afford to not take risk. And why should you take the risk, right? There's no need to. And you can end up with a return that's actually better, especially on a tax-adjusted basis, than you would even if you were taking all kinds of risks. Now, to your question, right, if 
something shows up. And if you look at like Warren Buffett or, you know, some of these really legendary investors, they're not dollar cost averaging into the market all the time, right? They're sitting on piles of cash. And then when they see something that is so compelling to them, they pile a pile of cash into it. And if they're right, they make a lot of money. But they are not doing that every day. You know, Warren Buffett may make one big investment every two years, right? Or maybe there'll be a fire sale and he'll make three in the same month, right? But it's not something that he's doing every day. And I have found that I've been able to do that. Just having the cash value available in the policies and that loan value, I know that I've got lots of dry powder, right? My money is not tied up the way it was when I was investing in, you know, 401ks and all this stuff. I had no access to that money. And it, it, I finally got so angry about it. Like, this is my money. Why can't I do whatever I want with it? And the answer is because I'm subject to all these crazy rules that actually aren't even helping me. So I have used my policies. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to invest in, uh, you know, kind of a private equity kind of investment in a company that I was uh, an advisor to on their, you know, advising their, uh, their board. And they needed capital. And I knew what was going on in the company because I was meeting with them all the time. And I liked what they were doing. And, uh, you know, they were going to banks and getting terrible rates on these, you know, loans. And I said, well, why don't you, you know, do a tender office offer to the advisory board and let us, you know, we all have money. Maybe we'll invest with you. Right. And we did that. The company ended up getting bought and we made a fat profit. And, you know, that was all policy loans. Right. And so, do I need to do that every week in order to satisfy some itch to like, you know, put a hundred million dollars on red? Like, no. <laughs> uh, Dan, um, so, you should point out where the profit went. It went in the paid up edition. Uh, where the profit went? It went, it went right yeah, back into the, in the policies. Into Absolutely. the paid up edition yeah. catch-up. Hmm. Why would, yep. yeah, why, and why did you do that? I mean, you know, once you get the profit off of an investment or sale of the business in that case, Dan, uh, you could have put that money anywhere. Why did it go into the paid up additions writer? Because then it keeps on growing and I can use it again for the next one, right? I mean, that is yep. the place where we're keeping all of our money, basically, right? However it comes in, that's where it goes. And, you know, part of the, you know, if you're looking at the chart, um, you know, that you can see that in, uh, in there's a couple of changes in the chart. One is that partway through the, the steep green rise, we started paying all our premiums annually. And so then you see like little step stairs because the uh. money's going in, right? That's when we started going from monthly to annually. And we did that because some of my income comes, um, you know, kind of at a certain time of the year in terms of bonuses and stuff. And also I wanted to get the money into the policies as early as possible so I get the maximum amount of dividends, right? Why give up even, you know, six months or eight months or 10 months of dividends? So we put that in early and then I started to uh, use uh, debt. So that first bunch of uh, debt accumulating on the bottom you can see is actually the policy loan for the, uh, that investment. And then we paid all that off when the investment uh, liquidated. But I'm doing it again now because I want to blow up the balloon as large as I can for the policies. So I'm borrowing money when I don't have enough money to put the maximum paid up additions in out of my cash flow. I'm borrowing money to put the paid up additions in. Now, it sounds weird, but 
you know, you borrow money, you put it in, it's immediately available to borrow back. So it's, it's, I'm carrying a little bit of debt with a little bit of interest, but the interest is the same as what I'm getting on the policy dividends anyway. So it's not really costing me anything. And it allows me to blow that balloon up larger. And then if I get some kind of windfall through another investment or an inheritance mm -hmm. or who knows what, I have a place I can put that and I've got the biggest balloon I can to, yeah. you know, to fund my retirement. That's awesome. Well, it's, it's a balloon that won't pop if it's a guaranteed cash accumulating machine that's getting more and more efficient over the years. And so yeah. what I hear you saying, Dan, is the red lines at the bottom of the chart, and again, for those that aren't able to see it, go to the show notes, but the red lines are policy loans, or is it also other types of debt from outside lending institutions like HELOCs and so forth as well? So uh, most of that is a HELOC, and um, that's be just because it's an even lower interest rate than the policy loan interest rate, yep. and why, you know, even if it's a half a percent better, you know, uh -huh. why not, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it is just Well, because if the, if the HELOC gets called, let's say the bank gets rid of that HELOC, you immediately have the cash value to, to take care of that HELOC problem, right? If the bank oh, calls uh, your, your HELOC. Yep. Absolutely. I have no, I, I would never take on any, any kind of debt like that, that could yeah. be called if I didn't have a backstop. So I have awesome. absolutely no risk to that's have awesome. that loan out. That's, that's using the bank for your advantage rather than the other way around. Yep. You know, Mark, this is a great point for Jeff to ask his questions about the yeah. ups and downs and the dark green, you know, as you go up the chart. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Yeah, the, the question I guess I had is I've seen this chart for years, but I haven't seen the new updated version, so thank you. Um, I see from, uh, for those that can't see it, you know, on their screen presently, you know, from roughly January through January of 2010 through September of 2019, that your net worth, mostly attributable to bank on yourself, has tripled or nearly tripled in that period of time, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. Now, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know how to attribute cause and effect, right? So I certainly my income has changed over the course of that time. Um, you know, anybody's net worth is going to be impacted by their income, by their spending, and by what they do with their capital. Right, assuming that they have any capital. Right? So, so all of those things are going to come into play. And I would, you know, I would definitely say that in ten years, you know, my income is different over the course of that ten years, uh, and and has grown. So there's that. We try to keep our spending under control. Uh, now, at the same time, I've got a you know a son who just graduated from college this May. And I have a daughter who's just started in college last year. So she's a sophomore now. So I've been paying tuitions. Um, and there's impact of that uh, that you can kind of see in the chart if you know where to look. I have another child who's still in high school, but she'll be going to college in a couple of years. So all of that is going to factor mm -hmm. in. Um, but I can tell you that based on our past uh, history, had we not, shifted towards bank on your or you know fully into bank on yourself and this mindset of only investing in things that can't lose money i'm sure that there would have been periods of time where we would have lost plenty of money and dan you know i'd say too if you if your income had grown over that period of time without a place to put the money it more likely would have been spent would you agree that is absolutely true yeah such a great chart and mostly it just 
it lays on the fact that you've built real wealth with the policy and a place to park your increased income, Dan. Uh, again, it could have that increased income could have gone to a 401k, which would have built paper wealth or, or loss. It could have gone into um, a checking account where it might more easily have been spent if you're like me. When it's accessible, so easily accessible, you can spend it just as easy as save it. But putting it into a policy that's guaranteed to become more valuable every year, Dan, that's amazing. Uh, I think, I think Tim Austin recently said on a recent episode that you know folks are cheering that the market has reached a new record high after whatever seven, ten years. Um, whereas your net worth has increased, you've you've got a new record high of your net worth every day, every month, every year. As you look over the long term you're locking in real wealth uh, on a guaranteed basis every single year. So you can shout from the rooftops as you've done with Pamela's blog and other places. And thank you again for coming on our show that this is possible, that not only is this possible, but this is the way most Americans used to do it a long time ago. Uh, And coming from the voice of an engineer who had more skepticism and doubt than most of us, right? But uh, I'd say, you know, with your patience and willingness to learn and Alan's willingness to teach, um, you, you got through it and now look at the result as, uh, as we look back, um, from, from 2009 to 2019. So congratulations, Dan, getting all the way through that period. Um, what, what final thoughts would you want to leave our listeners as they're considering this? Maybe they're at that stage that you were at when you first heard that radio announcement, what would you encourage folks to do? Well, I, you know, the one regret that I've always had with this is that I didn't learn about it sooner. Um, I am happy that when I did learn about it, that I did the diligence, but I took the step, right? I did try it and I found out that it was everything it had been, uh, it had been advertised to be in a sense. So I would encourage everybody, have an open mind, do the diligence, ask the questions, talk to other people who've done it, but don't hesitate to jump in because what you will regret if you don't is not having done it sooner. Uh, what's the best way for folks to reach out if they would like to learn more? Uh, all right. Best way is probably email. And uh, the email is alan, A-L-A-N, at T-H-E-FinanceFixer.com. Yes, I'm the finance fixer. That's an easy moniker to remember. The financefixer.com. Uh, that's probably the best way. And, um, you know, happy to, in, and, and again, I can always pass things along to Dan, too. I uh, would be happy to, uh, you know, to answer any questions. Um, you know, I, I want to say I feel like I'm so lucky that I basically started with this uh, on the ground floor over 15 years ago now. Uh, and, um, you know, I have been in a, an insurance agent, life insurance agent and advisor now for over 45 years. And when I first started 45 years ago, this is what we did for people, dividend paying whole life. We didn't do it this way, but the minute I saw this, you know, it, it clicked with me immediately, you know, because of my experiences getting started uh, back in 1974. So, yeah, and, and Mark, feel free to post that email on the uh, meeting notes as well. 
And, uh, and yes, um, because I've gotten to the point in life that my goal is to uh, help everybody possible learn about this and, uh, and see the advantages. And uh, so I'm, I'm, ha I'm more than happy to help, you know, anyone that has questions. Well, if it, if it results in folks' net worth chart looking like Dan's, I think folks will be rushing to, to say hello. <laughs> and I've got to just say, uh, congratulations, Dan, for your accomplishments over the last years. Thank you for providing some of this insight and for being willing to share, literally share your net worth to the world. Uh, so I appreciate that very much. And I hope it helps a lot of folks uh, in a similar place that I was in. And sounds like you were in as well, Dan, when you first heard about this. So uh, keep up the great work and report back as you have time to, to let us know how that chart continues. And we're all hoping and praying that that file on Quicken doesn't get corrupted, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, You know, Mark, before we go, I should mention that mountain charts like this are not atypical with uh, clients I've had that have been uh, doing this over a period of time. This is not atypical. Dan, uh, you, you are special, but you're special just like everybody else. That's what we're saying here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so you're right. You're right. The, everyone who has a policy has a chart, if they know where to look for it, that looks similar to this one. And the only difficulty, because I use Quicken as well, and you have to manually load in the cash values. I have five large policies, and I'm loading them not every quarter like you do, so hats off to you. But um, it's worth the effort, and uh, I'm seeing the same thing in my financial picture. But most importantly, all of my clients are seeing the same uh, story as well. You lock in your gains. You're not dropping back you know, to where you were a decade ago, and it's just such a thrill to uh, help people along that path. Guys, thank you all for joining us for our, our latest episode today. I really appreciate your time today and can't wait to see what happens next. All right. Thank you, Mark. Wow. So a real testimonial from someone who's been doing this since 2009. That's almost 10 years. Well, over 10 years probably as we're recording this. So, you know, if that's not evidence, I don't know what is. But more to the point, we've got all the evidence you'd like to see on his story. He's even been willing to share his real net worth chart on the public website of our podcast. So go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on this episode, and I'd love to show you really what it looks like when you build real wealth. Now, you'll also see that decade or so where he was investing in fake wealth. What is that? That's real estate uh, and stocks, bonds, mutual funds, riding that roller coaster of paper wealth and paper losses. So take a look at that chart. I know you're going to be as floored as I was when, when I saw it. Or if you're listening to this on a podcast app, just swipe left or right or up or down or whichever way to get to the show notes on this episode. I know you're going to love seeing the images associated with this, uh, with this content. So thank you again, Dan, uh, Jeff, and Alan for being on the show. Boy, what a tremendous gift uh, to... You know, be on the show with you guys. It's, as always, one of my favorite things is spending your precious time with you uh, to share ideas, concepts, and ideas that may not be shouted from CNBC, that's for sure, or Money Watch, or any of the other mainstream financial outlets. So I'm so glad that you're listening. And by, by listening to the end of this episode, I know you're a true revolutionary. So I'd love to know, now that we've got this evidence, at least this particular guy's story, out into the world, is Bank on Yourself a scam? That's the question of the month. I'd like to know, is Bank on Yourself a scam? That's the key question. And I'm, I'm going to be asking this 
very publicly because I'm going to be doing some upcoming episodes on it. So if you go, you can give me your feedback, positive, negative, or otherwise, or if that opens up more questions, or if you have an opinion on this one way or the other, I'd love to hear your voice. Just go to speakpipe.com slash N-Y-A-F-P. That's speakpipe.com slash N-Y-A-F-P. Press the appropriate button and leave us a message. I'll put it on an upcoming show that we're putting in preparation for that question, Is Bank on Yourself a Scam? That's our question of the month. Also, please leave us a review while you're on our webpage, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Select Leave Us a Review and let me know what you think of the show. Happy to see the positives, the negatives, and otherwise. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different, so different, about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.